0: Good morning, and welcome to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at the early Lichtenhauer longsword glosses. I'm your host, Mike Swaridge, and joining me today are Jess Finley, Johanna Hopfgardner, Michael Chidester, and Kendra Brown. Um, so, you're breaking into the middle of breaking research where we try and work out why there's an entire page of MS 3227A missing from Wichtenhauer. <laughs> <laughs> So what we're actually looking at as the show opens is page, what is it, 29B, where there's uh, three quarters of a page worth of poem. Uh, 28 couplets, didn't you say, Mike? Uh,
1: No, this is a different one.
2: Different Uh... one. In There's the middle, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen,
0: sixteen. 16, 16, 16 this is 20 couplets. Um, 20 couplets. In the middle of the long sword section, between, between the, the...
2: sealhau how and the title how, yeah. <laughs> how long before it's not the Twer and the shoulder?
0: It's been missing from the mage from the main 3227A page.
2: I must have so. separated it out because I didn't think it belonged with the rest of the glass, but I don't I don't know.
1: Sometimes I'm dumb like that.
0: <laughs> and then I didn't um, hear it anywhere else. So how are we doing this week? It's been Thanksgiving in the US. Um. And in Austria, you're enjoying lockdown at the moment, Joey?
3: In the hard lockdown again. Um but I'm, I'm still doing Hema. I swear, I, I, I might have just fully transitioned to horsey Hema instead, but I am not <laughs> sorry.
0: And <laughs> um, you've been, have I seen that you've been making more pels or more corpses to pair oh, yeah. your okay. neighbors with?
3: Mm-hmm. Like, okay, disclaimer: I don't train with corpses, but um, my pels usually end up looking like corpses. And I tend to forget about them, so if I have any visitors um, looking at my horsey's pasture or anything, they go like, mm, "What's what's that? <laughs> and I have to explain to them that it's not, in fact, a corpse. Well, yeah, but I'm just in the process of making a new one.
0: Um, what materials are you using to build it? Because was the last one sand, or
3: yeah but this time, okay, I read about people um like emergency uh, workers uh, practicing their dummy drag, like mm-hmm. exercise, whatever, um on do-it-yourself dummies, and they usually use uh, work coveralls and fill them with oof any kind of material actually. So I recently ordered a pair of tough coveralls, and now I'm just trying to uh sew the sleeves and the legs shut, and fill it all with straw or something like that. And they'll probably like, use some leather or something to to make it a bit tougher around the chest area, so I can really stab in there. Well, we'll see. The thing's arrived today, but I haven't had time to uh, start the project yet.
0: <laughs> um, Mike, have you been up too much?
1: Uh, I am still in the midst of
2: work on the uh, Joachim Meyer facsimile, and that takes up all of my time, I guess. I also um, put together the, uh, I did a minor revision to the Talhofer companion volume, and that is now for sale publicly, if anyone who didn't get it on the facsimile just wants the book of research that went along with it and the translation then that's now um, for sale as well. And apart what, what from that, kind of, my life is just editing pictures of Meyer pages. What,
0: what kind of stuff's changed in the, the companion volume? Uh, it's mostly
2: just correcting like typos and formatting errors. I um, added a little bit of information about the collation and the construction of the manuscript that what well, I didn't know yet when I put that together the first time um where the missing pages are and so on but this is mostly mostly just a small revision we i had one contributing author that wanted to revise their paper and they didn't get back to me and didn't get back to me and finally said you know i just published the one that i already submitted so that didn't happen Uh, but it's substantially the same book it's uh i'd say the only part that that had any significant changes i changed a few pictures here and there Things like that. Um, It's not worth buying, again, if you already own it, unless you're really into (laughs) Talhoffer.
0: And Jess, what have you been up to?
4: Well, I had a little Friendsgiving um, this week, as we mentioned. And then what else? Uh, I've been teaching fencing lessons and um, doing some work on... Uh, my training space. I'm repainting it. I'm painting a giant mural of Toyodonk um, because he's my 16th century hero slash boyfriend.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. I know, right? (laughs) So anyway, so that's what I've been up to.
0: Sweet. Um, So for our listeners, we were looking into whether or not lines in MS three two two seven A occur elsewhere in. You forgot the... to ask
1: Kendra what she's doing. Thanks.
0: I'm very rude. Sorry, Kendra has now rejoined the chat. Kendra, what have you been up to?
5: Um, I have been researching pictures of male and female merfolk,
1: <laughs> merfolk, and,
5: and merfolk of indeterminate gender. Um, or etc. cetera, uh, to see what kind of armor they're wearing. Um, preparing for a presentation that I've been invited to give, my proposal was accepted, at the Kalamazoo uh, International Medievalists
0: Conference. What kind of armor do merfolk wear? I'm guessing it's not seashell brass.
5: No, it's usually full coverage on the torso, but not so much on the fishtail, and seems to usually involve closed helmets. Um, sometimes of the not exactly, but almost frog mouth
1: shape.
0: Huh. And is oh,
1: cool.
0: can you like sorry? Can you like,
3: it... sorry, can you, like uh, put in a picture? <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, a chat? yeah,
3: yeah. I, I really want to see that.
5: Yes, so, I can.
0: <laughs> so I know, like, Roman times you got Poseidon with his trident running around, or is he Neptune? I always get them confused. And they have, like, uh, seahorses where the front half is a, a horse and the back half's a, a fish. They had that in mosaics, and that kind of make its way into medieval Europe.
5: Uh, yes, but not in the way one might expect, because there There's a spike in merfolk art in the late fifteenth century when Nero's golden house was rediscovered. So that whole art tradition kind of got lost for a while. And then this very well-preserved I don't know, it's not an artifact. It's a whole house. Um, very well-preserved space was rediscovered. And that's actually where we get our modern word grotesque is. <laughs> this house had been built on top of, so it was sort of like caves, almost like artificial caves. They had all this decoration, and so it was referred to as a grotto. And grotesque is art that draws from the motifs seen in these grottos.
0: Ah, that's interesting. These pictures are really cool. I'll have to put a link in the show notes. There. When was Nero's house discovered again?
1: Uh, That
5: date is not known exactly. Based on when it starts showing up in artwork uh, in the late 1470s.
1: Okay. Wow. Super cool.
0: Thank you very much, Kendra. Oh, there's even a spiky Talhoffer shield. (laughs) <laughs> made out of a sea star, by the looks of it. <laughs> Man, Mike,
3: Mike, what have you been doing?
0: What have I been doing? Um, working, not having very much fun. We're, we're still in lockdown here, so I've only been fencing with a, a couple of people. But summer is here, it's like 30 degrees during the day, so I've been going to be throwing a barbecue later. If, uh, now that we're opening up a tiny bit so I think that the locals are accepting me as one of their own no. we've been getting to 30 degrees here too but the other kind of degrees
2: so.
1: <laughs> yeah the other way
2: yeah it's been quite cold, not summer in uh, in this part of the world
0: alright Um. so we were Looking up lines in the MS-3227A gloss that appear elsewhere. Or... They should now
2: be on the 3227A Wikipedia like article, by the way.
0: Ah, thank you. <laughs> um, I just fixed it. To see how much of the the kind of additional lines in the poem are uh, new original content versus ones which appear elsewhere. And this was sort of prompted by some work that you had done, Jess. Would you like to talk about your work with the? Which one was it? Was
1: it the Armored or the pony?
4: The pony. Yeah. 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 No, I'm super happy to talk about it. So, um, I mean, this was quite a few years ago. I did discover this, um, but I started getting an interest specifically in the verse and just mm. trying to work with and from the verse for my own personal study, right? Um, recognizing that, of course, the verse doesn't make any sense without the gloss, right? Like that's real. Um, but recognizing that I've worked with glosses for a number of years, what can I get out of just looking at the verse? You know, are there puns, are there hints, right? And and you guys know a little bit about how that led to hunting and other random crap that I've studied. But um, when I started, uh looking at the Rosfect inverse, I ran across 3227A's version, which is twice as long, and I got really excited. I was like, yes, yes, there's all this extra stuff, <laughs> and it isn't glossed, but there's all this new material here, and I was pumped, and I was ready for it. And then I was like, well, let me make sure this actually is new, and then it turns out that it isn't. Um what it is is either um either there are lines, couplets that have come from the bloss that were just dumped into Rossfectin as well, or there are lines that are coming from Harness that are dumped in there, or there are lines the vast majority of it coming from Huntsfeld's uh Rosfectin. So uh, Hunsfeld had his own uh, in verse. I don't know. Maybe it was Leishenauer's. Right? We don't know. It's it's just sitting there. um, But we have it associated with a gloss that um, is associated with Hunsfeld in the pseudo von Danzig manuscript itself, or Starenberg, if we're calling it that now, manuscript. Um, So yeah. So what that really led me to was, you know, there's already been, and and I apologize, I'm not sure what conclusions you guys came to in the last episode um, about this, but there had already at that time that I was doing this been a lot of discussion of the fact that 32278 probably isn't the earliest text that exists. Mm-hmm. It might be early, but it's probably not the earliest. Yeah. And certainly shouldn't necessarily be considered um, prime, right? <laughs> um,
0: Just- So the the Huntsfeld stuff shows up 1450s, 60s, and then Mm -hmm. through the rest of the the Leschenhauer tradition. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And you're saying that bits of that text uh, Mm -hmm. also jumbled up inside the Rosfesten of 3227A.
4: Exactly. Right? And it defies logic that the verse originally looked like it was in 3227A and somebody separated out bits of it and rearranged it and called it Huntsfeld. That doesn't make sense.
0: And What makes it, sense
4: is that it was separate and jammed together.
0: And then never again got included with the Lushenhauer-Rossfeshton. Yep.
4: yep, this is the only time it appears this way. So that... Im- that doesn't necessarily um, mean three two two seven A is post fourteen. Whenever Sarnberg was done, right? Yeah. Um, isn't
2: isn't it also in Lev?
4: Ooh, I don't know.
1: I'm you pulling up with me, me out it, right yes. now. According Catch to me me out out website, yeah,
2: I feel like in the Lev manuscript, that the Augsburg manuscript, it's the very last thing after the Mountain class. Oh no, you're right.
4: Yes. Yes, but it isn't jammed together in the same manner.
2: Yeah, yeah, but so both of these texts use this poem uh, in the same way with the same verses. It's all it's the same poem, not mixed up and jumbled like it is in three two seven a.
1: Right.
0: But um, Lev also gets the the short sword fencing, so like the armored fencing that elsewhere is attributed to Huntsfeld and attributes it to Lev. And yes. also get the armoured fencing of... In, in that manuscript, attri- it's
2: all mixed up.
0: Yeah, so. and attributes it to Huntsfeld. Huh. Weird.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right?
4: But But I guess what we can say is that probably... What we consider Leastgenauer's Rollsfection-verse and what we consider Mm. Hunsfeldt's Rollsfection-verse were separate items before 3227A slammed them together. What? Because they have to have been. Because nobody came along and separated them out later. That doesn't make sense.
1: And decided yeah. this poem is really cool,
2: but I'm going to make three different poems. And that's all anyone, anyone's going to remember forever. <laughs> I, I would agree. That's not really how history usually works. I mean, it's I'm sure there's examples we could point to where that's true. But it's not the most likely scenario.
4: No. Most <laughs> likely is that the, the, whoever <clears throat> did through 7 a memorized all these different things. And either thought he had a better way of doing it. Or she. I don't know that person thought they had a better way of doing it and slammed it together or just were dumbasses. And I kind of think number two, <laughs>
0: <laughs> these people were hit in the head a lot, <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, I, I can totally imagine that if there's some fencer who's been asked to start spitting bars about fencing for a scribe to jot down, and they're like, okay, what was the pony bit? And halfway through talking about Ross fashion, and they're scrambling to remember the next line, but they can remember a line about armored fencing, that that would come up. Right. Um, yeah,
1: that, I'd buy it. Yeah. It's curious.
4: and And as far as I can I tell, tell, I mean, maybe somebody else could do some cool work on this, but as far as I can tell, it looks like um, there wasn't rhyme or reason as to why certain Huntsfeld lines were put where they were put. Hmm. Does that make sense? Like I was hoping that there was going to be a logic to it, but there isn't one I can find that fits with the glosses we have of the various verses.
1: Cool. You know, this is just a random aside um, on attribution
2: for that poem. (laughs) A second ago, I said it was, you know, clearly it's attributed to Lev, but it's not. It's not attributed to anyone. And it appears at the very end of the manuscript. So it's entirely possible they were going to write down the Hunsfeld mounted section after the Lev mounted gloss and just didn't get to it. And this is the stubbly part of the beginning of Hunsfeld's mounted that was just never finished. So it it might not be as um, poorly attributed as 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 it seems. Or as mysterious as it seems,
0: because the Huntsfeld mounted stuff starts with a poem for I don't know twenty lines mm-hmm. whatever that is, and then goes into a whole bunch of items. Yeah, and so if, they, the if they started plays. copying
2: that and then never got past the poem, that would totally make sense. It's yeah. not like manuscripts, you know, were created with that level of intentionality, oftentimes. <laughs> I mean, or for that matter, like, there's a lot of things that could happen to the the last pages of a manuscript.
0: Um I'd like to turn around the conversation a little bit to pick your brains, Joey, if that's okay. Okay. Um, as our resident language expert. So, what I have seen a few times in my research is... Is people saying that MS three two two seven A has evidence of like a, a low German dialect in it? Would you agree with that?
3: No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, I can't really say that. Um I I remember that someone said that, so I tried to look to look it up, but I couldn't find anything. But I could find that the Vichtenauer page on Bjeringer Mm. Is it Behringer? yeah, I think so. Um like in the catalog description of his his the manuscript his text appears in, um it says that uh, it's written in an east central German dialect with low German influence. Mm. um And if that is true that's that's pretty bad because I spent. <laughs> The entire day (laughs) comparing the uh, Paulhausbuch or whatever we call it uh, with the Beringer uh, page. And because I assumed that it was written um, at a similar time in a similar region, uh, because that's really the only time you can compare two texts and try to guess their age or whatever. Um, But the Bavarian dialect and the low German dialect are pretty... uh, different. And all the sound changes that happened really, really early in in the Bavarian language area took a long time to go up uh, to the lower German uh, dialect area or whatever. Um, So I hope (laughs) Hmm. I really hope that they are both in a Bavarian dialect because only that way I can compare them and I really enjoyed comparing them. Hmm.
0: (laughs) So with the Beringer, Beringer, I don't know how we're gonna say it.
3: Oh, I'm just saying Beringer. I I have no idea. <laughs>
0: um, we know that it couldn't have been made before 1418. Is my understanding? Do you, is there I any reason I to think that it to
3: 1428 or something?
0: I think that the the or oh, Latin-
1: 1418. Sorry.
0: Yeah, fourteen, eighteen until like fourteen thirty-ish. I don't know where the twenty-eight date came from. Um, uh, is there any reason why that couldn't have come from Bavaria, South Germany? Really? No, but... no. Like, do, do you think that there's any reason why it couldn't be Bavarian? No. No. Okay. And then, <laughs> <laughs> Pole House Book three two two seven A whatever any reason it couldn't be bavarian
3: no not really but there is also there isn't any reason it couldn't be like from the uh, upper germany or something as well i i can't really um i don't know pinpoint it to, to some region because i i don't know its age so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have to either know the age or the region to
1: okay to one, it, one yeah. or other yeah Okay. Sadly,
3: we don't have both.
0: Because
3: that's either at the
0: book. So, James Acut in his researches, has come across a couple of candidates for Hans Dobringer. One of whom was up near Danzig, Gdansk on the Baltic, and then studied in Erfurt and Cologne um the other one of which was just some dude from near nuremberg
1: uh-huh so yeah
3: nuremberg is always cool
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah
3: no, but so so much of of our hema uh sources like originate near or around nuremberg so that would be really cool um yeah but well, I'm just going to explain what I did today.
0: <laughs> yeah, do it, Joy.
3: <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, because like probably every other hemoist, I was raised with the idea that the Nuremberg Book was written somewhere around 1389 or something, and I never really questioned it. Like even when I started to study German linguistics or whatever, I was like, yeah, yeah it's old. Um, but today, <laughs> um, Today I decided to compare the text to, well, the Beringer verses, um, the early Lev, the early Söder von Danzig, um, a bit of Tarlhofer, yeah, I think that was it. And and I looked at so many things, I looked at all the sound changes that are supposed to happen at that time, or were supposed to happen at that time, and... hmm. Yeah, I, I could give examples. So one of the easiest ones to spot is the palatalization of the word, uh, the sound S or Sh. Um, mm-hmm. Like in the word Schwert, <laughs> it was Schwert in Middle High German, but it changed to Schwert at some point. Um, yeah, around when all those early Lichtenhauer sources were written. And it's pretty cool to see... Um, in the, in the book and in Behringer and even in the early Lichtenauer uh, stuff like RDL, um, all in the early works, it's, it's all uh, Schwert or Schnell or Schlag. Mm-hmm. And it changes to Schwert and Schlag and Schnell, um, usually around the 1480s or 1490s. I think it was the, uh, the Codex Speyer. Is it the one that's called the Salzburg Transcription on Lichtenauer? I think so. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's the Codex Speyer. Um, it's one of the uh, earliest manuscripts that uses the palatalization consistently throughout the source. That's pretty cool. Um, and I looked at spelling differences and whatever. And I have to say, the Behringer Verses and Porthouse book are pretty similar. Like, as similar as it can get. Um, I didn't look at all the vowel changes. I looked at some of them, but um, graphematic changes that happen mm. or uh, consonant changes, whatever, they're all pretty similar um, if we look at the Porthouse book and the Beringer verses. The other sources I listed earlier usually go with the more modern way of spelling mm. things. So, ah, this, based, this is... based on that. Oh, sorry. To uh, I was going uh,
0: as somebody who knows nothing about this, what's with the C's with the, like the C Z combination? Ah,
3: oh, that's one of the examples I looked at. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a grammatic change. So it mm. it wasn't really a change in pronunciation or anything. It was just how people spell ah, okay. things. Yeah, yeah, and. Yeah both poor and Behringer both used the ZZ spelling, um, but I didn't find any other th- any other sources source that used that. So even the early left uh, hmm. in the 1460s and the early sort von Danzig in the 1450s, they all uh, used the Z spelling. So ah, <laughs> another argument that they are very, very similar. Hmm. and Based on that comparison, I'd say that the Polhausburg and the Bering are pretty similar of age, but only if we can assume that they are written in the same region, um, in the same dialect. Yeah, if one of them is like from Upper... No, sorry, Lower Germany. <laughs> that would be pretty bad. That would be messy. So I'm just going to assume... <laughs> They're both from Bavaria <laughs> and similar of age.
2: Yeah. So regarding the date of the the Behringer, I've been just been trying to backtrack and figure out why Wichtenauer says what it says, and I can't. So the best that the museum <laughs> estimates is 1414 to 1444 as a date for that text. Um oh, so cool. narrowing it down to 1418 to 1428. Mm. I got no idea where that comes from. I even checked Akit's um, document that has the transcription and analysis and so on, and he doesn't speculate on the date beyond what the museum says either. So,
0: I think it comes from Jens Kleinhaus' work mm. on it, which will take me a moment just to to pull up.
1: But the watermarks that the
2: museum identified on and lists on their page um, run from the earliest, it starts in 1416, and the latest ends in 1444. And the usual assumption is that paper gets used within a few years of when it's made, because there's no point in keeping giant reams of paper lying around for decades. So, but it doesn't say what the paper that this is actually written on, the individual page, what its watermarks are, if it has any. Paper. Uh, so it's hard to be sure on that, but that's the range that they give.
0: Yeah, it's it's based on the watermark um, dating. There we go. Just drops you a link to Talhofer bl- blog.
3: Okay, but if we say, or if we, hmm, yeah, if we say that the Beringer verses mm. uh, or the Beringer page, whatever, um, is written in a lower German dialect, then it yeah. could actually be from the 14, what did you say, 60s? No, 40s. Right? Okay.
0: So, so if if um, Paul and Beringer are from Bavaria, they're earlier, like, 1420s makes sense. If they're from up north, then later makes sense, like, 1460s. Is that right?
3: Yeah, because some sign changes just took longer to go to the north of Germany.
0: And some never made it.
3: (laughs) Yes. That's actually true. Okay, fun fact. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, The palatalization of S, like I said, um, in in modern German, in my dialect, or even in standard language, the word uh, to start uh, would be starten. in modern language, but in lower German dialects, it's still Staten. So they still say st in their dialect. So it, I wouldn't say it never reached the North, <laughs> but uh, it, might, it might still be a dialect of choice to use it or not.
0: <laughs> cool. Um But those are the main points I wanted to uh, to talk about today. Is there anything else that people would like to bring up or people would like to talk about? Yeah. Yes.
3: <laughs> I, I wanna talk about the pommel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the pommel? The yeah.
3: Top. Why? Well well, well, well it's 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 the only manuscript that I found that uses the word what did what is it? Uh, clos. He uses clause for knauf or for knopf or for klotz. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I didn't oh um I I I one of the lechner manuscripts um uses Klaus like one time but klots a bunch of more times <laughs> so i think Klaus one or two times and the other times oh it's always Klotz. and i think in rdl it's always knopf or maybe knauf i'm not sure something like that yeah. but it's that- the only manuscript that uses Klaus, really and i i don't so, get it why
0: so knopf what else what does the word mean what where does it come from for for uh,
3: well the translation would be button <laughs> like modern english button is like the one on your jacket or whatever it's it's knopf yes. but i'm not sure where it comes from um i looked up the origins of the word clause, and it's mm, like a lump. <laughs> yes. Okay. So
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like, the it's the same word as like clod or clout. Yeah. This cloth. But I have never
3: it's... really heard it in a fencing uh context. So, is it is it fencing language? That would be a cool lang- uh progression. Cool like was Paul Housebook written by a fencer? <laughs> I'm not sure. Why Apparently doesn't he just in, say
0: knopf? In northern and central Germany, uh, Kloss is a dumpling.
3: Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> 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 that's true.
0: <laughs> okay, so they're both words, basically, from the same root for like a uh, lump.
3: But I have to agree that Kloss is, like, it's, it's not really used in my area. But yeah. it's it's used in the north of Germany, <laughs> so that that might be an argument that Porthausburg Buch comes from the north. Ugh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to think, I don't want to think about it.
1: <laughs> cool. Um, it's worth mentioning uh, since you had asked yeah. about um,
4: mm. harness, Mike. Is that the harness verse is the same as everybody else's harness verse, more or less? There's nothing. There's a couple words that are shifted, but nothing that changes the meaning or is dramatically different.
1: Cool. Uh, and on the topic of
2: verse, we were talking about before the recording started, and we may as well put it out there. So he's well known in the longsword gloss for putting lots of extra verses in. Yeah. And. Uh, to the point where his long sword is almost twice as long as Lichtenauer's. Um, but Lichtenauer's is 109 verses, uh, couplets, out of which about five are repeats. And in this case, his 40 or so verses are only actually 28, um, and the rest of them are repeats. So it's not it's not like he added tons of extra. He only added about half as many as it looks like. And some of them, at least three of them, are sort of paraphrases of Lichtenauer's verses, whereas the other ones are apparently original. And then he just sort of keeps going. Like, there's one that says, "You know, um, in all encounters, turn the point against the opponent." And that that comes up like six times. And he just he has some that are sort of like his own personal fencing rules that he throws in a bunch of different sections. Um, So, yeah, it's interesting that he is happy to repeat his own verses over and over again, but he doesn't really repeat (laughs) Lichtenhauer's.
3: My own verses are better anyway.
4: (laughs) 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 I have half wondered, that being the case, if there is, I don't know, like, for instance, we don't have... um, A blossfectin for Lignitzer, though we have Lignitzer doing everything else. Like maybe that's Lignitzer's verse for (laughs) Bloss.
1: Crazy things that can't be proven, just thoughts. That's what we're here for. That's what I'm here
2: (laughs) for. Yeah, questions of authorship are interesting. Um, We talked last time about how. It's possible, maybe even mildly probable, that one of the four masters writes the gloss because there are some similar phrasings that appear between the four other masters, right? It's, uh, what are their names? Andres Juden, uh, Hans Dobringer, Joops von der Niessen, and Nicholas Prusen, right? One of those four yeah. guys may have been the author just based on repeating certain key phrases. Um, but it, And everyone sort of had, in the... 20th century everyone assumed that it was Hans Döbringer and you still hear that idea sometimes but it could have been another guy i mean for all like we for it could just as easily be like andres Newton, who could be Andre Lignitzer, sure it could be any of those guys who happen to be writing those same you know things like the obsession with 4 or 6 the the numbers 4 or 6 yeah. comes up a lot in both of those sections and things like that Jess is pointing the camera
4: Four and six also comes up in Lignitzer's Dagger.
1: Oh. Doesn't it? I don't remember. It does?
0: But the, the Maybe dumb question. It remember. If, if, we, if these people had learned and internalized the Zettel, wouldn't it be unsurprising that they then repeat some of the same, for lack of a better word, some of the same memes in their own compositions?
2: Uh, but four or six doesn't appear in the Zettel from it? Mm-mm. I can't think of a place where it does. Jess, you know this a little better than me.
4: Mm-mm. no, not th- not in the versions I look at at
2: least. Um, that's why it seems interesting Damn. and and potentially important is these are apparently oh. unique expressions.
1: Mm.
4: No, I'm misremembering. I'm sorry. I think in his dagger he talks about he talks about um throwing seven or whatever whatever it is for backgammon. Hmm. Throwing seven or eleven. What is it?
1: I don't know how to play. You guys it know in. what
4: I'm talking about, right? Hold it's on. I'll get in. it.
5: I don't know Beckham that well. <laughs> Sorry. Because
4: it's a reference to um, putting somebody in a chicken wing, right? Because <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, uh, used- uh, Lacusha uses it too, yeah?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's the, he has the guy the on the ground. The yeah, where he's. Mm-hmm. Pin somebody, got them in a hammerlock, and is yeah. then playing board games. Yeah.
4: yeah. So Lignature so, like, does that same move standing up, and references back in and there, right? So speaking of memes that show up in our medieval masters,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's
4: wonderful.
2: <laughs> okay. Oh, if we're gonna, so before we wrap up, if we're gonna talk about what's in the book, do you have, do? I guess any of you, but especially you, Jess, have thoughts about the wrestling. It's the most Ugh. substantial section besides the longsword in this in the fencing treatise here, right? She's making a yeah. really disgusted face.
1: For those, yeah, I'm making
4: a this. tank face about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what's what's um, awesome about his wrestling?
4: So, what is awesome is it is as Kendra likes to say, a math problem, yeah. right? Because everything is is a thing that you can do three times and so now you have 3 and then you have 12 and then you have 24 and now it's 687 right or whatever it is I don't remember exactly I don't have the I don't have the treatise in front of me right now um I think what I find super frustrating about the wrestling in there that is attributed to um is that it is written so freaking vaguely that it could be yes. anything yeah. It, and and I have run across hemis who have said, "What are you talking about?" I completely understand all of it, and I'm like, "I mean, we all could <laughs> understand all of it." <laughs> um. So, yeah, no, there's some cool stuff in there for sure. Um, I wish we had more specific words in the text because it seems to be talking about. Foundational wrestling principles. But what he means by those, it it's the equivalent of saying all wrestling is pushing and pulling and then following after the motion. Okay, cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah,
1: the,
0: the, the, this is the, the fundamentals. And by that's that, I mean none of it's actionable in any way.
4: Right. Right.
1: I mean, that's my takeaway, Mike. Do you agree? What do you think? Yeah. Well, and
0: I'm um, the This is just my personal opinion, but the kind of like the the wrestling and the grappling that I really like in these manuscripts is like the the Feshton play of the sheephold. And these very specific things that take a moment to figure out exactly what they mean. But then when you do, you can just go, oh, yeah, yeah, this makes sense. As you're riding past them, you pin them in a certain way, and then the, the momentum of the whole thing carries them off the horse. Whereas these are like, okay, so with one hand you push their head, and with the other hand you stand, hold them behind, and then somehow they're thrown like, that could be any number of things.
1: What What's? What's? What are you talking about? When he comes
2: running at you, so you see, see to it that you bump him off to both sides and practice stepping, bumping, and winding so you find many openings. What's not clear about that? Learn <laughs> to put both legs in front and how to break mm-hmm. hands, however he may grab you. Wind your hands around his so he must slide <laughs> off high and low everywhere.
1: <laughs> that, right. That,
2: that seems fine. Yes. Yeah, so this, this, I mean- this is... This is something like, that I wish was more useful because it's the only wrestling teaching we have that's attributed directly to Lichtenauer. Yeah. But most people I, I that I've talked to, except Christian Traskler, have that idea that it's pretty impenetrable. And you can do things that that make sense and seem to fit the text, but the text will not lead you to those things. I think is is what I've noticed. And that's Common in a lot of Hema sources, but this is maybe one of the worst ones as far as I'm trying to interpret it.
4: Yeah, I mean, you can look at what he says about wine, you know, winding no, wind your wind hands around, and then you can go look at Ourswald and see Aursvold doing doing Ausvenen or whatever he calls it, um, and go, okay, you know, that must be what this one is talking about. But I mean,
1: it's a big <laughs> yeah. leap. That's all. Uh, I
0: mean, like, I think that whoever wrote this knew how to wrestle. Obviously, there's there's plenty of bits where, like, obviously, okay, this is talking about getting an overhook and then maybe getting a whizzer and then uh, doing a dance to the dance and then trying to trip them up. And but it's not a developed system. In the same way that the longsword is,
1: mm-hmm.
0: there, there hasn't been the same thought put into how to how to systematize and how to transmit this information in a, a meaningful way.
1: Yep, um, I'd agree. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Von Baumann is by far the best wrestling, so just do that. <laughs> I'll keep saying it. <laughs> huh. And yeah, as far as being a
2: math problem, what I like about it is the numbers don't add up sometimes. And he tells you he's given you X, not 10 or 12 or whatever number things. And when you count them, it's like only nine. And so probably there's mystery techniques that are included as well in the
1: math. Fill in the blanks. <laughs> Medieval math is great sometimes.
4: So, yeah, no, I'm not thrilled by it. I guess is where I'll end up with um it's It's curious and it's yeah. interesting, and it isn't at odds with anything any modern wrestler I know is doing. um but there's nothing to learn there in the same manner.
0: <laughs> yeah, all right, I think this is probably a, a good point to round up now that we finished trashing the the source that this series is about. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this week it's been our panel of Jess Finley, Johanna Hopfgardner, Michael Chidester, and Kendra Brown. I've been your host, Max Mawage, and thanks for listening.
1: Hooray!